0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. So I want to get into the Word this morning. Excited to do that. I want to give you a few things to look forward to. If you're taking notes, uh, I encourage you to jot a few things down. Uh, There's a few things that uh, I look forward to, and i like to offer them to you. Uh, uh, One is going to be our biggest issue. So if you want to turn to your neighbor, you can tell them, hey, you got issues, right? So, yeah, no one's taking me up on that. That was your chance. That was your shot, you know? And I'm sure if you're, you know, you sit next to a spouse, you might get the elbow, like, he's talking to you, you know? But we do, we have issues, and there's an issue that is our biggest issue, Okay? And we'll see in the scripture here uh, what that is, and, and I think we'll all be in agreement that it's a, it's a big issue for all of us. Uh, there's another thing we're going to find, and that is your right as, as a Christian. I mean, <clears throat> at this time, we're hearing a lot about, uh, you know, rights and, and the Constitution and things like that, uh, people's uh, civil rights and, and liberties and, and things, uh, obviously, a lot of things going on politically, and, and it's a really big deal, I mean... Uh, I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be. That's, that's a mind-blowing concept, isn't it? But I've never seen days like we live in today, ever. And I've seen some, you know, political turmoil or things like that, but this is, this is unprecedented. And, and maybe it's, it's not been like this uh, ever, uh, but, but I know it hasn't been in my lifetime. But we, in all the talk about rights and liberties, there's a right that we have as a Christian that I think it's important for us to identify in the Scripture. Because if we don't exercise this right, it could affect our liberty. So there's another thing we're going to find, too, the, uh, the ultimate guide to success. The ultimate guide to success. Uh, we're going to see just a, a single passage of Scripture that I trust and believe. If we apply that, we'll, we will be walking in the ultimate guide to success in anything that we're putting our hand to. So I mentioned to you before we're going to find out our biggest issue, Okay. What do you think your biggest issue is? I want the wheels turn for a second. I want to give you an issue that's revealed here in the scripture that I think applies to all of us. If you're taking notes or if you have your Bibles, uh, go to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. I want to look at Isaiah chapter 30, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 30, it, it, it opens up with this call, uh, this warning, so to speak. Uh, the word is woe, it's and it's a biblical word, but we don't really use it uh, anymore, at least not in this sense. I know at my house, I feel like I say woe a lot. And it's like, whoa, you know, like, like slow down. And, and, you know, perhaps maybe there's an affiliation there, I'm not sure, but this woe that's in the scripture here is basically, a, it, it would be as if you were to clap your hands or whistle or make an attempt to get someone's attention. It's, it's, a, it's a call of urgency that this is a bad thing, warning, warning, warning. This is a bad thing. Woe. It says, woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord. And then it goes on to make this statement. And this is really the statement that I want us to catch. It says, who execute a plan, but not mine. They make an alliance, but not of my spirit. And in doing so, they add sin upon sin. So when I read this passage of Scripture, I think, hey, this is interesting. I like to look at it forward and backwards. I mean, forwards, it reads as this warning, but then backwards, I'm seeing, uh, hey, if there's sin being piled onto sin, I mean, if there's an issue where where sins are being multiplied, you have this uh, revelation of of what might be causing it. I mean, the making of alliances that aren't led by God, the, the executing of a plan that's not his. This is something that God's warning us about. So, you know, in, in looking at my own life, examining my own life, or, or maybe helping others with, with counseling or things like that, when I'm looking at areas where there's just sin upon sin upon sin, I have to stop and ask myself, is this person in God's will? Or have they made choices and decisions that have placed them outside of God's will, and according to this passage, would result in the multiplication of sin or transgression? So in my opinion, and I'm offering this to you as an opinion, but I have a feeling most would agree, this is our biggest issue. Executing plans, but not God's plans. You know, making relationships, agreements, fellowships, partnerships, but not the ones that God leads us to. I mean, some of the worst decisions that I've ever made in my life, I made against godly counsel and according to my own desires, and they ended in complete and total utter disaster. And this is a warning that we have, and I think we ought to take it seriously. We ought to, to to pay attention to it, and understand that I am in a constant state of executing plans. I mean, from the moment that I wake up in the morning to the moment I lay down and go to sleep, I am executing plans. The question is: Are they God's plans? Are they God's plans, or are they my plans? Are they God's plans or are they someone else's plans? Are they God's plans or are they a certain political party's plans or my place of employment's plans? I mean, I'm now in this place of needing to identify what God's plans are so that I can be sure that the plans that I execute are the plans that he's called me to. I need to make sure that the alliances or the agreements or the partnerships that I make are the ones that he's calling me to. So God's given us a solution to this. I mean, that's the, that's the challenge, that's the issue. And honestly, I think it's all of our biggest issue. Because I believe if we're in the midst of the will of God, things may uh, not be easy, there might be trial or difficulty, but they will be fruitful. Fruitful, productive. In the end, it, when it's all said and done, when we're in the middle of God's will, the results will be productive. Productive. So God's offered a solution to us because this is a challenge. You know, he has plans for us, but yet we have plans for us too. He has a fellowship for us, but yet we have people that we want to connect with too. So how can we come to the place where we can make the plans that he has for us become our plans? How can we come to the place where we can have the fellowship that he's called us to be the fellowship that we walk in? Well, he's offered a solution in the, in the scripture here. You'll find it in Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30, I want to read verses 18 through 21. So it starts with this, and I want this to be in here because it's important that we hear the heart of God. I mean, I want to just stop there and make this clear. Without an understanding of of who God is, without an understanding of his heart for you, it is difficult, if not impossible, to rightly interpret the Scripture. Any proper or right interpretation of the scripture with a wrong understanding of who God is will strictly be accidental. To know his heart is to interpret the scripture rightly. And that's why I want to include verse 18, because it reveals his heart. Verse 18 says, therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. I mean, you could sit and just meditate on that thought. That God longs to be gracious for you. I I don't use the word longs uh, in my vocabulary regularly, but I think it's important to just pause and think about that. What does that mean to you that God longs for something? What would it mean if you longed for something? Some of you are only hearing long and thinking he's preaching long. But God's longing for something. Some of you are, are, are ready for lunch and you're longing to eat lunch. But that might even be a, a kind of juvenile way to interpret it. I mean, this is a deep desire. It's a priority. And when oftentimes when I try to wrap my mind around it and think, well, what are the things that I've longed for, you know? Uh, well, I, I talked earlier about the, the season of courtship when, when, uh, when Ashley and I were, were courting before engagement and then marriage. And, and I remember that was a, a definite time of, of longing, you know, and I think that you could also translate longing in that case, stalking. <laughs> but the point is, is that when you long for something, it is, it is on your mind. It, you interpret everything you see, witness, and touch through that thing. I mean, I'm in the middle of the, that courtship, and, and I can't even go to the gas station without seeing, you know, some of their, their little stations there where they, they kind of trap you to buy one more thing and think, ooh, I ought to get that for her. Ooh, I ought to get that. You know, because everything I see is being filtered through the that which I long for. And so when you consider that God is longing to be gracious to you, what we need to understand is that every single thing that we encounter, God is, is longing, he is desiring to work through that thing. No matter what. So I want, to keep back, I want to get back to the scripture and keep reading, excuse me. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. And how blessed are all of those who long for him. You see now it's no longer him longing for you. And now this blessing comes to those who long for him. And I want to read this next part in verse 19. It goes on to to say, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, Weep no more. Surely God will be gracious to you. He will hear your cry and he will answer you. I'm skipping down to verse 21 because 21 is the point that I want us to get. God will no longer hide himself for you, from you. Excuse me. That's the end of verse 20. And then 21. Your ears will hear a word from behind saying, This is the way, walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. I remember memorizing that passage of scripture as a young believer and putting tremendous hope in that, that in the choices and in the decisions that I would make, that would be how I would make them, that I would be led by God, that there would be direction and that his counsel would prevail in the decisions that I would make that would shape my future. So I want you to think about this for a second. I mean, if somebody is there and present leading and guiding, what is that person? What does that person do? What does that mean that they are? I mean, I I, I went over to verse 21, but I want to read the back end of of verse 20 there. When it's speaking of the Lord and how he's going to make a way for us, it says that, that our eyes will behold our teacher. And because our teacher will no longer withhold himself, our eyes will see him, and then our ears will hear a word from behind, this is the way, walk in it, whenever we turn to the right or to the left. I can tell you as a believer, when I hear God's promise identified as, as the work of a teacher, I'm immediately drawn to the reality and the truth of the role of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you a passage of scripture here uh, for, for your notes, John 14, 26. And if you're, if you're interested and curious, you want to know more about, about the Holy Spirit and his function, you'll see the Holy Ghost throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, there's a couple of chapters where where you see Jesus identify, describe, and, and, and release information that's so powerful concerning the Holy Spirit and his role in our life. And they're in John chapter 14, John chapter 16, that area of the scripture. And here in John chapter 14, I want to read verse 26. Jesus is identifying the Holy Spirit as one that will bring help to us. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance that which I've said to you. So we identify two things here, or at least a couple of things immediately. One, that the Holy Spirit is meant to be help for us. Well, to help us what? Well, to help us with our our big issue, the fact that we're always executing plans, but they're not always God's help us with our big issue, you know, that we're, we're making alliance and, and friendships and partnerships, but they might not be the alliance and the, the friendships that God's leading us to. He's here to help us, and, and the idea that it's help is, is a relief to me, that he's here not to, to uh, bring about chastisement, but that he's here to bring about assistance, and that this is going to be through teaching. He will teach you all of these things. He'll bring to my, my remembrance all that Jesus has spoken, meaning that there's going to be a, an awareness, an understanding, there's going to be a communication between my helper and my teacher and me. What we see here is everything God's describing in Isaiah, that our teacher would be revealed to us, that our, our teacher and our helper would no longer be hidden but that we would have direction, we would have guidance, that when we're at a crossroads, we can have the counsel of the Lord saying, turn this way or turn that way. So I'm curious, if the Holy Spirit is my teacher, what is it that he is teaching me? When he's bringing to my remembrance all of the things that Jesus has spoken, what, what is that for? I, I mentioned to you before that we were going to uh, identify you know, your, your right as a uh, Christian. I see this in John chapter 1. I want to look at, at verses 12 and 13. you right as a Christian. Now, let me tell you something before we actually read the passage. Before I was a believer, I did not have this as a right in my life. When I became a believer for the first time, this became a right. I could exercise it or I could uh, uh, not exercise it. It was my right and it was up to me. John chapter 1, I want to read beginning in verse 12. It says, as many as received him, okay? So as many as became believers, as many as received him, the hymn there is Jesus. To him, he gave the right to become children of God. Even those who believe in his name, who were not born of blood or the will of the flesh, but were born of God. As many as received Jesus, he gave them the right. It's a, it's a word, a Greek word, exousia. It means the, the authority. The authority to judge or decide, the power to, to make a, a decision, uh, to have some sort of, of judicial authority, to manage uh, domestic affairs. That's, that's really what it means. And so when I read this passage of Scripture and I understand that there's a right that has entered into my life, I have to ask myself do I exercise that right. I mean, the rights that we have are, are up to us whether or not we exercise them. Now, when I became a Christian, it would have been very easy to fall into the understanding that, that every day my, my choices and decisions really didn't matter or affect things, but because I had chosen Jesus now, that was it. The reality is it's not a finish line, it's a starting line. I've got news for you. You're never going to be more of a Christian than you are the day you become a Christian, the moment you become a Christian. It's not about having, you know, ranks and and, and, uh, different uh, standards. It's about walking in everything that God's called us to. The Bible's very clear that there is growth and maturity, that old things pass away, that new things come. All of these things come into our life in an instant, but they're lived out in our lives throughout every choice and every decision that we make. So as many as believe him and believe in him, as many as call upon his name, as many as put their trust in him, as many as become Christians, so to speak, Jesus now gives them the right to become children of God. I want to just tell you what that means to me and and how I apply that to my life, and I want to offer it to you the same, that because I'm a Christian now, in every situation, in every circumstance, in, in anything that I face or deal with, I have the right to handle that thing as a child of God. If I do not exercise that right, then I handle it as, you know, just a regular man. Now the question is, which one of those do I want to do? I mean, if all of the promises of, of functioning and operating in God's kingdom, uh, making choices and decisions according to his counsel and his direction lead to the fulfillment of all of the promises attached to them, then I'm, I'm here to say that's the way I want to do it. I mean, when Jesus talks about these things, he makes it very clear to us that doing the will of God is the way into the kingdom of God. When, when it's written about by the prophet in the scripture, what we see is when we do the things that we want to do, when we execute a plan but not God's plan, it piles sin on top of sin. It just leads to things that are no good. So I'm curious now, how do I exercise my right as a Christian? I mean, I want to think very practically. How do I exercise this right? I'll give you a passage of scripture here out of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. It says, all of those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I want to say that again, and then I want to to describe it in connection to what we read out of John chapter 1. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now remember what that right was that Jesus gave us. All who believe in him, all who receive them, he gave us the right to be the children of God. Romans is identifying that all of those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. So to walk in my right as a believer is going to require that I be led by the Spirit of God. That I not be led by popular culture that I not be led by my own appetites, that I not be led by my own learned behaviors, that I not be led by the things and the institutions that would, would, would want to get a hold of me or lead me astray, that I not be led by the media, that I not be led by political parties, but that I be led by the Holy Spirit. In every choice, in every decision, the question is not what do they say I should do, but it's what does he say I should do. What's his counsel? What his, is his advice? This is how we exercise the right that we have as believers. Now, there's something that's required to be led. I want to read a passage of Scripture here, and I want to offer a thought to you. I want to read out of the Gospel of John in John chapter 10. I want to begin in verse 22. Jesus is speaking here, and I include this first part because I I like the detail. I think the detail is just interesting. It paints a picture of, of a recorded eyewitness account. So beginning in verse 22 of John chapter 10, it's describing Jesus. It's describing him speaking. It's describing a situation, and it's describing a location. And it says, at the time of the feast of dedication, when this took place in Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple on the porch of Solomon. And there were Jews that were gathered around, and they were saying to him, and now this is actually a question that I'm sure they really had to work up the courage to say. Because Jesus has been ministering now for some time, there have been tremendous miracles, there have been all kinds of, of Uh, things that have come to pass that that have an entire uh, nation uh, just in an uproar with excitement. And they come to Jesus and they say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now you have to understand, I mean, honestly, as believers, we should talk more about the idea of the Messiah, the promise of God's deliverance. I mean, The the Jews knew about this because it's foundational in everything that they, they would establish, and therefore it's foundational in everything that we establish. But it's more prevalent in their vocabulary as at this time they were watching and looking for the coming of a Savior, especially in these days with the occupied Roman force there, or the occupying Roman force, I should say. So they come to Jesus and they ask him this, how long will you keep us in suspense? We see what you're doing. We hear your messages. The masses are following. The signs and the wonders are mind-blowing. Will you just come out and say it plainly? Are you the one that we've all trusted and believed for for generations? Are you the, the Christ? It means the anointed one, the Savior. And Jesus responds to what they say. It says, and Jesus answered them. And he said, I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you don't believe because you're not my sheep. You don't see what God's doing and identify that this is the work of God. Rather, you want me to come out and say plainly something. If you believed, you would understand that the works testify. Now, believe, the Greek word for believe, it doesn't just mean acknowledge existence. Now, we've talked about this before, but I want to really reiterate it because it's important. It's not as if, uh, you know, a child believing in the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. Believe means to put trust in. In fact, as a young believer, every time I, I would come across the word believe, I would write above it, put trust in. Because I wanted to drill that into my mind when I read the scripture. I didn't want there to be some empty translation of the word believe. I mean, even the demons acknowledge the existence of Jesus Christ. I want to put trust in him. I want to let my decisions be affected by his uh, ruling and reigning in my life. Now, Jesus continues and he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than I. And no one is able to snatch them from the Father's hand. And then he says this, he he answers their question pretty plainly here. I and the Father are one. Now, for, for the sense of today's message, we were talking about being led by the Spirit of God. Jesus is talking about uh, leading a group of people. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I want to tell you what it it takes to, to follow after Jesus or to be led by the Holy Spirit. When we read the word believe there and we rightly interpret it or rightly translate it to put trust in, I think the number one thing that's needed in order to be led by the Holy Spirit is going to be trust. Do we trust that God is taking us to the place that we need to be? Or have we let other influences uh, dictate what we think we, we need? Or are we being led by our wants? It's one of the greatest obstacles to trust that God is, that He loves you, that He has plans for you and that his plans for you have your best interest in mind no matter what. That is the massive obstacle to be overcome. And once that massive obstacle is overcome, it is forever a a, a different life that we live. I want to offer this to you just in thought that that in and of itself is the renewal of your mind to come to the point Where the trust in God, that he loves, that he provides, that he makes a way, that he doesn't leave, that he doesn't forsake, that he is a faithful God, a keeper of his promises, when those are the thoughts that are on the forefront of our thinking, the renewal of our mind positions us to trust. And a life of trust is a life of overcoming doubt and anxiety. And when we can put our trust in God and be led by him, we will be exercising our right as believers and walking as the sons of God. So it's an interesting thing to consider, and the scripture is very clear, it's a wonderful promise, but I need to know where I stand. I like to know where I stand with things because if we come together and we we hear these things and we receive these things and maybe our Bible IQ goes up a little bit, well, all those things are great, but I want to be able to apply this to my life. I want to be able to evaluate my life in real time to see where I'm at with this. Am I exercising my right as a believer? Remember, my right is to be a child of God. To be a child of God means to be led by the Spirit of God. I want to look for the things that identify a child of God in the scripture and ask, is that in my life? Now, some of these are going to sound familiar, and some of the terms uh, may be familiar because they're, they're parts of the scripture that we use in other messages. But I want to offer these to you as a, a bit of a, and, and I don't mean this to be uh, a casual or, or goofy in any way, but a bit of a spiritual paternity test. Am I walking as a child of God? If somebody is witnessing my life right now, are they witnessing one who is a believer in Jesus Christ and is exercising their right in this choice or this decision to be a child of God? So I want to give you a, a, a couple of, of things here to look at. First of all, let me give you a passage of Scripture out of First John. I want to read chapter 3, verse 10. It says this, it says, By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So in any circumstance, any situation, anything that I'm walking in, anything that I'm dealing in, for me to exercise my my believer's right to function as a child of God, I need to ask myself, am I making a decision that is the practicing of righteousness? Is what I'm doing in good standing with God? And by the way, that's a good definition for righteousness. That which is in good standing with God. I mean, I've heard a few things in the past. Some of those things are, are are powerful and and, and profound. Other things are maybe a little hokey. This might fall in a little bit hokey, but I remember listening to a a group in a a large youth meeting, a large youth gathering, and somebody just said, you know, I've kind of developed a habit. Everything that I do and and everything that I say, and I mean, what they meant by that was, this is their goal anyway. I want to be able to say, in the name of Jesus, I this. (laughs) In the name of Jesus, I that. If I can't do this and know that it would be in right standing with God, then it's not righteous. In the name of Jesus, I watch this movie. In the name of Jesus, I listen to that song. Should there be a conviction that comes with that, then we might want to rethink that this thing may not be as righteous as it was once perceived. So here's another one of these uh, spiritual paternity tests here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So what we see here is that the making of peace is is the the result of, or, or results in rather, the identification of being a son of God. You're going to be walking in your kingdom rights if you're making peace. The question is, when you're faced with conflict, do you make it worse or better? I have to catch myself here on occasion. Uh, there's a bit of a, a natural tendency for me to, to start off one way and then try to recover as quickly as possible. Oh my God, I made that a thousand times worse. And I, and I keep hoping and believing that, that, that I'll catch it sooner and sooner and sooner and sooner until you don't have to catch it at all because it's non-existent. But that first response, that first reaction to conflict, does it make for peace or does it add fuel to the fire? To exercise our right and walk as a son of God will mean making peace, being a peacemaker. Another one of these things, Matthew chapter 5, I want to begin in verse 44. It says this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. I mean, what a great so that you may be. What that means is if you don't do this, that ain't going to happen. If you don't do this, your identity as a son of God is not going to be present. If you don't do this, you are not exercising your Jesus-given right to be a son of God. Loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. I know I've shared this before, but I'm going to share it again. Because I used to pray for my enemies a lot, and it sounded like this. God, get those morons. Snap them out of their stupidity with the fire from heaven. You know, I mean, seriously. I mean, I'd read passages of Scripture like, hey, you opened up the earth and swallowed up a bunch of people once. Uh, How about we try that one again? (laughs) So what I found was, you know, I was praying about my enemies, but I wasn't praying for them. I mean, the Scripture says that God is for you. If God be for you, who can be against you, right? We need that kind of for here. I need to be for my enemy. That's a hard thing to do. (laughs) It's easy for me to pray about them. They hurt me. They wounded me. they, 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 you know, deliver me, take care of them, wipe them off the face of the earth. But can I impart blessing to them in some way, shape, or form? Can I pray for my enemies? Well, my right as a believer positions me to function as a child of God, which means praying for them imparting blessing, not just praying about them, talking about uh, all of the ways that they have frustrated or disappointed, hurt or wounded. I want to give another one here uh, out of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, I want to begin in verse 14. It says, Do all things uh, without grumbling or complaining, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as light in the world. So if I am walking in my right as a believer to function as a child of God, there ought to be, based on this passage of Scripture, the absence of grumbling and complaining. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. For me to operate in my right... The exousia, the judicial authority to make the right decision in a situation or circumstance, for me to operate in my right as a believer to function as a child of God is going to mean not griping, not complaining. I can tell you I fail to walk in my right a lot. It needs to be less until it's non-existent. Grumbling and complaining, you know, this is one of those things where I have to ask myself, what's the big D? I mean, things go wrong, people do things wrong, it's frustrating, it's disappointing, why can't I just vent a little bit? What's wrong with that? Well, we have to understand what it means to grumble and complain. I mean, what, what is actually going on? I mean, it might be a mild version of, but it's still a version of a work that is really dark and sinister. I mean, at any given time, you have Jesus standing in the ministry of of reconciliation, the ministry of intercession, constantly interceding between us and the Father on our behalf. And at any given time, you have our adversary, the devil, constantly making accusation, constantly bringing accusation, whether to your ears or to the ears of others. That is his function. He is identified as the accuser of the brethren, meaning he is making accusation. And when I think about grumbling and complaining, what I see is at the heart of or at the foundation of all the grumbling and all the complaining, you will find a little nugget of accusation. So the reason why God says, nope, can't have that. You might think it's innocent. You might think it's no big deal, but it is the seed that will take root and grow into a forest of accusation. It's got to go. So here's another one of these uh, spiritual paternity tests. Are we walking in our right to be children of God in the things that we face and deal with? Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not. I don't really say knoweth that much. But the world knows us not. Because it knew him not. I want to read that again, and then I kind of want to explain it, because this one's a really big deal to me. When I look at the church at large, I think this is an important one for us to catch. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because the world knew him not. I have to ask myself this, when evaluating whether or not I'm walking in my right, my Jesus-given right to be a son of God in any situation or any circumstance, the question is, does the world know me? Does the world embrace me? Do I look like the world? Or does the world reject me? I mean, if I were to open up a Facebook account, I don't have one. If I were to open one up and say, hey, I'm, I am a straight white man that's a Christian, I'm a pastor, I've been married to my wife for 17 years, and I have two sons that I'm raising in a conservative household, the world might not uh, bear witness with that as a good thing. They might throw rocks at it. The world would not know that because the world doesn't know the things of God. So it's important for us to ask ourselves questions like that. If I'm walking as a child of God in the things that I'm dealing with, I should expect rejection from the world because the world rejected him. If we look like him and the world rejected him, then the world will also reject us. Galatians 3.26 says that we are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to offer that as a final one of these tests that you can apply When I'm walking in a situation or I'm walking in a circumstance, I can ask myself, am I exercising my right as a child of God? Am I trusting in Jesus in this situation or am I trusting in something else? And if I find that I'm trusting in something else, I need to reevaluate my actions in that situation. I mentioned before we're going to find the ultimate guide to success. I want to offer you a passage of scripture to do just that. But as we get that, I want to reiterate, reiterate Excuse me. why we're discussing what we're discussing. We have a challenge. We have an issue. We're constantly executing plans. Sometimes those plans are God's plans. Sometimes they're not. When they're not God's plans, they lead to difficulty, trial, tribulation. According to Isaiah, they pack sin upon sin. God's promised to help us with this issue by providing a teacher, a helper, to lead us and to guide us. And what he's leading us and guiding us in is the exercising of our right as the sons of God to speak to us which way we should go, how we should handle the things that we deal with. To ultimately trust him is to follow him. And to follow him is to be led into the things that God would lead us into as his sons, I want to offer you this passage of Scripture in closing. The result of following God. The result of putting our trust in Him. The result of letting Him lead. Proverbs chapter 3, I want to read verses 5 through 6. It's an instruction, it's a call. And I believe it's the ultimate guide to success in anything that we walk in, in all that we deal in. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, when I was a young believer, I I carried a a stack of flashcards that had scriptures on them in my pocket, and every time I had an opportunity while I was at work to just run through them real quick, I would do it, and that was one of them. And that passage of Scripture has, has been an encouragement, a reminder, an instruction in countless situations. When there were a number of, of attempts to lead and to guide my direction, I could remind myself that the only voice that guarantees success in this situation is the voice of the Holy Spirit. That I should trust in God. Put my trust in Him. Know that He has my best interest in mind. Even if it doesn't feel like it. Even if it doesn't look like it. He sees what I don't see. He knows what I don't know. I will put my trust in Him. I will lean on Him. I will not lean on myself. And I will acknowledge Him. When He says move, I will move. When He says stay, I will stay. I will respond to His instruction. And when I commit to that, according to this passage of Scripture... His faithful promise fulfilled is my path being made straight. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And in all that you do, acknowledge him. And he'll make your path straight. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray for us together before we part ways. I want in my life and I want for the lives of of all of us as as a congregation to be led by the Holy Spirit, to not be led by all of the things that are trends and, and culturally relevant, but I want us to be led by the Spirit of God in everything that we do so that we can be a people who know that when we make alliance, when we make plans and execute plans, that we're making those plans and those alliances that God's called us to. So that we can make a way for there to be a freedom from adding sin upon sin and open up the door to function and operate in our lives as the sons of God, the children of God, those that fulfill that call and that purpose, the whole reason why Jesus would come, the whole reason why Jesus would live and minister, the reason why he would offer up his life in your place, the reason why he would come out of the grave, the reason why he would go to the Father, and the reason why he would pour out the Holy Spirit on you. It's the point of the gospel that we would be led by the Holy Spirit, led out of those things that are fruitless and into those things that are productive. There where you stand, I just want to pray this morning for us. Father, we bless your name and we thank you. We thank you that you provide solution to our challenge, that we can have direction and we can have counsel, that the choices and the decisions that we make can be made with the stability and the security of your counsel. I ask now in Jesus' name, will you open our ears to hear the voice of our help? Will you open our ears to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? Will you renew our minds and soften our hearts to pause and to seek your counsel before jumping on the counsel of this world, this culture, or our own desires? Teach us to put our trust in you. Remind us of your love and your affection for us. That you have brought us to this point, not so that we could suffer, but so that we could continue to grow, continue to mature, continue to prosper. And let us know in all that we deal in, in all that we face, that you love us and you have our very best interest in mind. And protect us from any other voice that would promise the same. All that is empty and all that would leave disappointed, let it fail away, let it fall away, let it disappear and fade away and lead us in the counsel that would bring fruit. We want prosperity in our lives as we're led by your spirit. Let all that is successful be celebrated and bring you honor and glory. Help us to trust in you. Help us to acknowledge you. Help us to follow after you and let our ways be made straight for your namesake and for your glory. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at championschurch.com.